Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is damn near 6.10 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 16th of September. It's Wednesday, 2020. This is episode 287 of Bitcoin and Sea Lightning 0.9.1 got dropped from Blockstream. Yep, speed ups, improvements to multipath payments, and a new multi fund channel plugin is apparently up at the top of their list for stuff they've shoved in it. Let's find out what the lizard people over at Blockstream have done. The Sea Lightning team is pleased to announce uh, version 0.9.1 of release Sea Lightning. This release builds on the infrastructure work in our last release by 15 contributors from all over the world, including three first-time contributors and comprising 391 commits. Some of the biggest changes coming with this release are across-the-board speedups, multi-part payment fixes and refinements, and the new multi-fund channel plug-in. Details to follow. 1.1 speedups are everywhere. We had a bug report that list pays was slow and started digging, creating a node with 50,000 payments. List pays took over 50 seconds. By revisiting some unpolished corners of our JSON code, we have reduced that to 1.5 seconds. <laughs> this inspired Christian to optimize our JSON reading code, which reads blocks from Bitcoin D. This is particularly important if a node has been offline for a long time. After a week of downtime, digesting those 2,000 blocks would take 16 minutes. The problem here is that the block is a single layer, or sorry, is a single 2 megabyte JSON string. And as Bitcoin D sends a little more, Lightning D would repeatedly try to parse the JSON, only to realize the string was unfinished. After some simple optimizations, this is now down to 6 minutes. That's up from 2.1 to 5.4 blocks per second. 1.2, multi-part payments enhanced. Back in version 0.8.0 last year, Sea Lightning started accepting multi-part payments, but only started sending them in version 0.9.0, the previous release. Our implementation is fairly ambitious. It will preemptively split large payments where possible. This turned out to be too aggressive with large payments. And there were also issues with combining route hints in invoices and multi-part payments and other bugs, which made payments less reliable than they could be. These are all fixed. And like all things which simply work the first time, you shouldn't notice. We also changed our invoice logic. We would previously add a route hint to invoices, the so-called route boost. If we knew an incoming channel had capacity for the payment and otherwise give a warning, we now add multiple hints if a single channel isn't enough. This is useful if the payer supports multi-part payments. 1.3, multi-fund channel plug-in. Let's find out what this shit's about. 
Since 0.7.1, we have supported the ability to split channel opening into parts using fund channel underscore start and fund channel underscore complete. So they could be done using an external wallet or combined with other transactions. But before these was, uh, 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 sorry, but using these was awkward and error prone. And so our pseudonymous core developer, ZMNSCPXJ, built two new commands on top of the PSBT, the, the support that was added in the previous release. Pausing right here just to note. It's 6.13 a.m. right now, people. Okay? I've been up for maybe an hour and 15 minutes. All right? So, you know, it's lots of letters strung together and not being able to form words is just part of the morning routine at the devil's hour. Okay? Continuing on to test this, we attempted to multi-fund channel from our test net node to all 1,837 nodes at once. Some we already had channels to, and many are unresponsive. People tend not to cleanly shut down or maintain their testnet nodes. And two had to be timed out manually, but after many minutes, it successfully opened 106 channels in a single transaction. Oh my God, this is awesome. Wow. It opened 106 channels in a single transaction? Gotta be freaking kidding me, dude. Retail's gonna go bonkers on this shit. In fact, the fun channel command has been rewritten on top of multi-fund channel with no user visible changes. So you're using multi-fund channel for every transaction now without changing a damn thing. We have started <clears throat> having regular online Jitsi meetings for developers with the URL announced on, on hashtag C hyphen lightning on the free node network. These run at the same Monday 8 p.m. UTC time as the lightning specification meetings but on alternate weeks, come along and ask questions or just hang out with us while we each discuss what we're doing. We don't have a roadmap as such, but we have started out to highlight, <clears throat> started a highlight list to indicate what people want to work on placed on the C Lightning development wiki. We're excited about the development and I am too. So, <laughs> wow. Oh, I just, the, the thought of being able to open up multiple channels all at once in a single transaction is kind of blowing my mind. So bear with me while I put all my shit together because, you know, with all that news, it's become evident to me that nothing stops the march of the corn. Continuing, this is why I Bitcoin. Cryptofomo.tv, which is at CryptofomoT, all one word, tweets this little emergency SOS. At Paolo Arduino, need a little help. Whales.finance and Sharks.finance just pulled the rug on $1.5 million of Tether on Tron, killed their site, and deleted the telegram about an hour ago. Whales, Sharks, rug pull, money is here. Good Lord Almighty. Uh, and then money is here. What they mean by that is they give an address to the Tron scan dot io address and let's see if there's any way oh yeah uh paolo actually writes back uh please open support ticket writing at support at tether.to um he may i hope he meant io with all the details this is a serious accusation so it would require confirmation from law enforcement etc all right so this is dude this is 
honestly, this is just more of that bullshit. This is just more DeFi crap. Okay. This is why Bitcoin, this is why I don't get into anything. I've been saying it for two years, over two years now. Don't, don't get into this crap, man. It's just, it, it ain't worth it. It just, it's not worth all the pain and suffering. Now, getting into the big news, you know what it is. On September the 14th, 2020, MicroStrategy completed its acquisition of 16,796 additional Bitcoin at an aggregate purchase price of $175 million US. To date, we have purchased a total of 38,250 Bitcoin at an aggregate purchase price of $425 million, inclusive of fees and all expenses. That's Michael underscore Saylor. That's at Michael underscore Saylor. Who's the CEO of MicroStrategy? So what happened? They bought more Bitcoin. Dude, they, they, they DCA'd in on a month over month basis. August saw them drop $250 million into Bitcoin. <coughs> September has now seen a, an additional $175 million into Bitcoin. You want to hear a little bit more about that? Well, let's go, bro. Danny Nelson is writing for Coindesk.com sometime yesterday. Bitcoin CEO MicroStrategies Michael Saylor explains his $425 million bet on BTC. Uh, MicroStrategy is prepared to hodl its Bitcoin for at least a century, or so said the business intelligence firm founder and CEO Michael Saylor in an interview with Coindesk on Tuesday. Shortly after he announced on Twitter that MicroStrategy was doubling down on the godfather cryptocurrency with the purchase of $175 million more in Bitcoin. Quote, I want something that I could put $425 million into for 100 years, Sailor told Coindesk. Mm. <clears throat> Me, I'm going to pause right there just for a sec. It has not escaped my attention or my tinfoil hattery, that it's possible, not probable, but possible. There's a different agenda here for Michael Saylor. I'm not going to say it's bad. I'm just going to say we all need to be careful when somebody is buying damn near a, like half a billion dollars in raw Bitcoin. It probably shouldn't just be where we're throwing confetti around and lighting candles on cakes and wearing funny hats and telling jokes to each other and going rah-rah, okay? Need to probably have a salient tinfoil hat theory in our back pocket just to balance out any, you know, stupid elation. Because when we get stupid and elated, that's when, you know, well, I'm just saying, what if a rug pull is in is in the future. Okay, I'm just saying, be careful with the emotions, people. Be very, very careful with the emotions. Michael Saylor is a human like every other human, and we all see what humans can do. Quote, <clears throat> I want something that I could put $425 million into for 100 years. In the last two months, Saylor has transformed his company's one sleepy cash surplus into a nearly half billion dollar bet on Bitcoin, the digital gold sailor is certain will outlast his tenure. Quote, if my successor is staring at this thing, it's still working. He said, quote, this thing, end quote, is a heaping pile of 38,250 Bitcoin. 
The publicly traded firm bought $250 million worth on August the 11th, days after telling shareholders that cash was no longer a safe place for its excess $500 million. Tuesday morning, it bought $175 million more. Forget about parking the balance sheet surplus in inflation-prone cash or low-yield bonds or overextended tech stocks, Saylor said. In a market like this and in the future, or in the future, he said, is certain to come, there are only two good places to put excess cash to work, stock buybacks and Bitcoin. It's a radical about-face for a man who seven years ago declared Bitcoin, Bitcoin's days were numbered. And we've got a tweet here from uh, Zach Vol. Uh, who has a, a pretty decent screenshot of two of these. Uh, Michael Saylor back on December the 18th, 2013. Okay, 2013 says Bitcoin days are numbered. It seems like just a matter of time before it suffers the same fate as online gambling. Now, fast forward to September the 15th, yesterday, 2020. On September the 14th, 2020, MicroStrategy completed its acquisition of more Bitcoin. Okay, well, it goes on. I mean, it's more than that, but still, you get the point. In 2013, Michael Saylor said that this thing was just stupid, and now he dumped damn near half a billion dollars into it. Okay, that's that's what happens to somebody in seven years. By the way, it takes about seven years for every cell in your body except neurons to replace itself. Just, you know, food for thought. Quote, I went down the rabbit hole during COVID-19, Saylor said admitting he was wrong to have doubted Bitcoin back at the $600 range. Quote, I wish I knew then what I know now. The first step of his journey to conversion came from an unlikely source for a newly minted Bitcoin maximalist, the sale of voice.com domain to EOS creator Block.One for $30 million in July of 2019. Fast forward to 2020 and Saylor found himself reading up on Bitcoin. He learned as much about crypto as fast as he could. Saylor said he poured over essays by Bitcoin luminaries Listen to Nathaniel Whitmore's and Anthony Pompliano's crypto podcast, scoured the internet for Peter Schiff's Bitcoin debates with Eric Voorhees, and lost himself in Andreas Antonopoulos's media empire. Is it really an empire? I mean, he writes some books and has like a YouTube channel, but I'm not necessarily certain I'd call it an empire. Come on, man. COVID-19's global business woes were actually a boon to my, for MicroStrategy. Saylor said the firm soon realized it had way more cash on hand than it needed to operate in a newly streamlined virtual first world. Moving away from the dollar is now Saylor's primary concern. He said he can't stand the inflationary risk. In Bitcoin, he and the firm's decision makers have found what they deem the obvious choice for the coming century of QE infinity. <clears throat> Quote, I started to cheerfully assign homework to MicroStrategies Executives and uh, director, Saylor said, he staged a series of learning exercises to bring everyone up to speed. If MicroStrategy was really going to move millions into Bitcoin, then everyone had to be on board. So hold up there, buddy. We're going to pause again. So essentially what he's saying is that there was probably enough downtime at his company that he really needed to assign some work so that people didn't feel like they were just floating around unanchored because that's a dangerous place for anybody to be. So what does he do? He starts, I get, I can only assume that he started giving books out and to people and saying, read this. And then in a week we will come back and we will report what we think we read. I mean, that's, I'm honestly, that's kind of, it's not amazing, but, it's a sensible thing to do with your time, 
whether it's reading about Bitcoin or looking at some other new technology. And no, not not shit coins. I certainly would never prescribe somebody read anything about freaking Ethereum. Anyway, there was a lot of ground to cover, Saylor said, but in the three months' time, he and his executives executives had accrued the crypto education and dealt with the myriad legal, custodial, and security issues that he said stand in the way of publicly traded companies getting into crypto. Then, in late July, executives unveiled the game plan on the firm's Q2 earnings call. MicroStrategy would seek to invest up to $250 million in the next 12 months in one or more alternative investments or assets, which may include stocks, bonds, commodities such as gold, digital assets such as Bitcoin, and other types of assets, In quote. MicroStrategy resident Fong Lee said this on July 28th. <clears throat> it was a declaration so clouded in corporate vagueness that nobody really noticed the news. A week passed before Castle Island Ventures partner Matt Walsh resurfaced the earnings call transcript in a tweet. He noted how the Nasdaq-traded stock was diversifying its cash holdings to include Bitcoin. Walsh gave the news a double-eye emoji. Watch this, he was saying. And he, Matt Walsh actually in his tweet says, somehow missed this last week, MicroStrategy, a two point or a $1.2 billion publicly traded company is diversifying its cash holdings to include Bitcoin. Observers didn't have to wait long. Six days later, MicroStrategy poured all 250 million of its inflation hedging surplus into Bitcoin. Gone was the 12 month timeline and the promise to diversify across gold and other alternative assets. No, all Bitcoin all the time, bitches. Come September, its board of directors had recognized Bitcoin as MicroStrategy's primary treasury reserve and hinted in an SEC filing that more buying could be on its way. It shattered the self-imposed $250 million Bitcoin ceiling hours later. As of press time, MicroStrategy has converted $425 million into Bitcoin. The stock has surged 30% since first buying Bitcoin on August the 11th. And it was up 9% on Tuesday. Other publicly traded firm or tech firms, think Apple, Google, park billions of excess capital in cash and leave it there for years. But Saylor didn't want to leave MicroStrategy's millions in a bank account where the specter of inflation could slowly whittle it away. Quote, and this is an important quote, we just had the awful realization that we were sitting on top of a $500 million ice cube that's melting, Saylor said. MicroStrategy has settled on Bitcoin as the treasury alternative. Quote, this is not speculation, nor is it a hedge, said Saylor. This was a deliberate corporate strategy to adopt a Bitcoin standard. Oh, mic drop, bitches. Damn, damn, pretty nice. Here's why Bitcoin's hash rate is surging towards a new all-time high. Okay, maybe it wasn't. Maybe there's even more news going on. I don't know. Nick Chong is writing for btctimes.com yesterday. Over the past two weeks, there have been fears, of course, that Bitcoin miners have become unprofitable. Early in the month, an image circulated online of Bitcoin miners liquidating thousands of coins sparked fears of a so-called miner capitulation event a.k.a. mining death spiral. Yeah, yeah, we've seen this one before. Recent blockchain data, however, indicates that this was far from the case. Just three weeks, <coughs> excuse me, COVID, after Bitcoin's difficulties set a new all-time high, the hash rate of the network is following suit. Mining difficulty is a value that determines how difficult it is for miners to mine Bitcoin blocks. The hash rate is the measure of computational power, 
being put to use mining Bitcoin at any one moment. According to BitInfo charts, the hash rate of the Bitcoin network set a new all-time high of 150 exahashes per second on September the 13th. To put this growth into context, the hash rate was 15 exahashes per second, 10% of the current value on New Year's Eve 2017. Further, the metric sat at 45 exahashes per second on New Year's Eve 2018. The strength that can be seen amongst Bitcoin miners comes in spite of corrections in the price of Bitcoin. At press time, Bitcoin is trading around $10,800, which is roughly $1,700 shy of the year-to-date highs near $12,500. Sorry. This raises the question of why Bitcoin's hash rate is increasing, even though miners may technically be less profitable. Ethan Vera, co-founder of Hashrate Index, told the BTC Times that the sizable increase in hash rate can be attributed to new mining machines arriving at farms around the world. Quote, hash rate, as represented by the seven-day SMA, has increased 7.5% over the week. S19Ss have begun to arrive in farms, and these higher efficiency machines are being plugged in in oh wait in <clears throat> sorry are being plugged in even at the current mining profitability level of eight cents per terahash a day. Regarding the image of miners selling thousands of coins, Vera noted that the analysis of Bitcoin flows from mining pool wallets can be inaccurate and misleading. <laughs> really? Quote most mining pools pay on a per on a pay per share basis and hold multiple wallets themselves not all of which can be identified. We have no indication that mining pools in particular were selling off reserves of BTC. End quote. Assuming the Bitcoin price remains stable or increases, the hash rate of the Bitcoin network should continue to increase over time as ASIC machines are installed and new mining technologies are shipped. So, mining death spiral. That, yeah, that narrative is probably going to start getting resurrected again. So just be aware. Alleged Bitcoin mining scam flagged by the Philippines SEC. A mining scheme involving Bitcoin and a Bitcoin fork has been slammed by Philippine regulators for being an alleged Ponzi scheme. This is Shara Malwa writing for Decrypt.co sometime very early this morning because it's still early where I am and she's done with her work. My God. The Philippine Security and Exchange Commission has warned the public to steer clear from the Bitcoin mining company Mining City, an alleged Ponzi scheme as per an official release. According to its site, Mining City offers six mining packages to investors ranging from $300 to $12,600 for the rental of its mining machines to mine, quote, Bitcoin Vault, a Bitcoin fork that makes a highly unlikely claim to have better security than Bitcoin. Renters can then expect from $2 to $92 in payment every day based on the plan they purchase. But those promises have raised red flags for the Philippine SEC. It described in its warning, quote, the scheme employed by Mining Mining City clearly shows indication of a possible Ponzi scheme where new investors are used in paying fake profits to prior investors and is designed mainly to favor its top recruiters. The regulator added Mining City is an unlicensed entity operating illegally in the country with the requisite guidelines for virtual currency exchanges. As per the release, Mining City CEO Gregory Rogowski, team leader Anthony Aguilar, and John Ray Gray, the admin of the Mining City Facebook page, have been identified as key personnel involved in the scheme. 
For now, the SEC has advised all Filipino citizens to stop investing in plans offered by Mining City or by entities that engage in smart contracts, cryptocurrencies, or digital asset exchanges that are not registered with the commission. Promoters of such schemes can also criminally oh, be criminally prosecuted with fines over $100,000 or imprisonment of up to 21 years. 21 is a recurring theme in this thing. Meanwhile, Mining City seems undeterred. A notice on its website states it will continue to operate even if its business or website were to be shut down by any government. It even claimed that the government cannot shut it down because it is decentralized and free from any authority. <laughs> Crypto-based Ponzi schemes and related scams have accounted for over $4.3 billion in stolen and misappropriated funds in 2019 alone. As per an earlier report by on-chain analytics firm Chain Analysis, scumbags, <laughs> sorry, scammers, usually entice gullible victims with the lure of easy profits which turn out to be a classic pyramid scheme more often than not. Talk about the perils of decentralization. Oh, shit. So y'all be careful out there. Regulatory risks grow for DeFi as a money laundering haven. Hey, you guys knew this shit was going to happen. If you didn't think this was going to happen, you're crazy. Of course this was going to happen. First of all, de the entire landscape of DeFi is just... Man, you, that's, like, that's like freaking like Frodo walking through Mordor. Okay, you got good hearted people being sucked into the land of, of worthlessness and the eye of Sauron at any given time is going to beam its light on you and just rug pull your ass. But let's find out what Martin Young has to say about all this shit. He's writing for Cointelegraph sometime even earlier this morning. DeFi could fall under regulatory pressure if it is seen as a haven for money laundering. The rapid growth in decentralized finance and yield farming is likely to attract greater regulatory attention, according to a recent report. A joint research paper by global management consulting firm BCG Plan, Plantinon, Plantinian, okay, Plantinian and Crypto.com has indicated that the rapid growth in DeFi in 2020 has created the potential for money laundering, which will bring it under the radar of regulatory authorities. Since the beginning of the year, the dollar value of crypto collateral locked across DeFi platforms has increased over 1,200% to reach $9 billion, according to data provider DeFi Pulse. DeFi by design is permissionless and decentralized, which means it's bullshit. Sorry, unlike centralized exchanges, there are no KYC requirements for users. It operates largely beyond the realms of government and regulatory control, which raises concerns about illegal access to financial services, according to the report. Commenting on the report in its newsletter, CypherTrace noted, quote, since DeFi protocols are designed to be permissionless, anyone in any country is able to access them without any regulatory compliance. As a result, DeFi can easily become a haven for money launderers. You think? DeFi protocols believe they can escape the threat of regulation by moving to full decentralization, including governance, meaning regulators would be unable to shut the platforms down even if they wanted to. However, the scale and governance of DeFi protocols varies greatly in terms of full decentralization. Some protocols, such as Uniswap, have had substantial venture capital backing by highly centralized corporations, Andreessen Horowitz and Union Square Ventures in this case. There is a fear global regulators could turn their attention to DeFi as it grows in scale. This may involve using decentralized identity and address checking services in order to blacklist certain users. Here we go. 
Fiat also needs to enter the ecosystem at some point, which is usually via traditional centralized exchanges, which are increasingly regulated. Financial Action Task Force, <clears throat> Mafia, regulations include the travel rule, which requires virtual asset service providers, or VASPs, to collect and transfer customer information during transactions. This may end up with the mass whitelisting and blacklisting, oh my God, you're racist, of blockchain addresses associated with certain tokens, exchanges, protocols, and even users, if fiat on-ramps such as these, uh, uh, such as centralized exchanges, are prevented from transferring crypto to DeFi-associated addresses, then DeFi protocols may be forced to adopt KYC and other regs. The research noted that the current FATF recommendation is that if the DeFi protocol is sufficiently decentralized and the entity behind it is not involved in daily operations, it may not be classified as virtual asset service providers and therefore will be immune from the travel rule. But as CypherTrace noted, quote, judging by the current regulatory trends of greater KYC and other compliance requirements, such as the FAT of travel rule, DeFi could eventually fall under the scope of global regulators as it grows in scale. Okay. So there's the story. DeFi is something that you should probably stay away from because nobody really knows what the hell it's doing. Second, people throw around the word decentralization like it's opening a, a, a piece of gum and chewing on it and then spitting it out. Decentralization is not easy. It's extraordinarily hard. How the hell do you think it took until, what, 2009 for us to get Bitcoin. And the humans have had electrons, you know, since the late 1800s. We've had computers since the 1940s. And it's just now that we've got something like Bitcoin. That's not easily, you know, replicatable. Right? Just because they say they're decentralized, you don't know. Did you design the system? Do you have the schematics? Do you know where all the nodes are located? Are you part of the, of the corporate leadership team of any of these DeFi companies? Because if, if the answers to any of those questions are no, then you don't know jack shit as to whether or not it's decentralized or not. At least not as it, to what scale it's decentralized that it could escape the travel rule. Because as much as I hate FATF, I have to come to the realization that they're there and they do things. And as much as they're scum, I had you just have to recognize that they're an entity and they're going to take a giant dump on all of these people that are doing this because I guarantee you they're going to be able to. Why? Because I also guarantee you that this shit is not as decentralized as any of these assholes say it is. Don't believe them. Don't trust them. Korean court seizes investors shares in crypto exchange bit them. Here we go. Not your keys, not your coins. Shara Malwa is writing this one again early this morning for Decrypt.co. <clears throat> Let's see what she has to say about being stupid and leaving your Bitcoin on an exchange. Korean regulators announced the seizure of the shares of crypto exchange BitThumb from a major investor earlier today amidst an ongoing case of the exchange allegedly defrauding its clients as per local outlet News Free Zone. Be <laughs> News Free Zone? That's the name. I want to read news from somebody that's news free. Okay. We'll, we'll just skip over that. BK chairman Kim byung John, who has been earlier sued in the process of failing to acquire BitThumb, had his holdings in the exchange seized. 
This came after a decision by Seoul Central District Court on September the 14th. The report said the seizure was completed today at the Bitthumb Korea office in Gangam-gu, Seoul. It was overseen by accounting firm Samjong KMPG, which will additionally prepare a short list to sell further stakes in Bitthumb Holdings. Damn, they're just going to liquidate the whole damn thing, y'all. Bitthumb is currently undergoing investigations into its business after it allegedly sold its native BXA tokens for about 30 billion won or about $25 million US based on a former takeover deal with the BK Group. However, the exchange then failed to list the token, which allegedly led to huge losses for investors. So it's, in a way, it's a little bit unclear. If they've seized everything from BitThumb, then they have everybody's coins. This actually seems to point to somebody's, I don't know, issued shares in the company as being taken up. So was it, uh, let's see, had his holdings in the exchange seized. So it's a little unclear. I'm going to go ahead and just jump to the side that he had like actual stock, you know, shares of stock in BitThumb. I guess they went public. I'm not sure about that one. Things move way too fast in this space. So don't fault me for not knowing. In either event, it looks to me like they're, uh, they're in the process of liquidating BitThumb. And if they completely liquidate it, then BitThumb is completely gone. And BitThumb has been around, you know, been around for a while. Um, so it'll be, it'll be one of the pillars. I don't know. I wouldn't call it a pillar, but one of the monuments in the space that will have fallen because, you know, KYC, AML, travel rule, and all that kind of shit. Uh, also, uh, don't defraud your customers. That's never a good look. Yam Finance readies for less disastrous relaunch. Thanksgiving is going to be fun this year, y'all. Yam is gearing up for its V3 release later this week after undergoing a security audit from PeckShield. I have no idea who the hell PeckShield is. Samuel Haig writing for Cointelegraph sometime again early this morning. Decentralized Finance DeFi Protocol Yam Finance is relaunching on September the 18th. Yam Finance V2, a fork of Compound featuring a native token within an elastic supply, burst onto the DeFi scene last month, garnering more than half a billion dollars in assets from yield farmers within 24 hours of launching. Oh, God. Nothing, what could possibly go wrong? However, the unaudited V2 of Yam Finance came to a dramatic conclusion when a catastrophic bug caused excessive reserves to be minted, which rendered it impossible for governance to be executed. In other words, Yam committed suicide. That's how I put it, okay? It literally committed suicide. The relaunch follows a period of interim governance during which community consensus was found regarding all key issues for V3's launch, with the community voting to change Yam's reserve asset to YUSD, extend the voting period for two days or two two days, and adjust the thresholds for proposals and quorum. Most importantly, for the confidence of potential investors, an audit was completed by blockchain security firm PeckShield. Blockchain security firm. They say it's all right, people. So Yam apparently is a A-OK. Good. Oh, The audit found several issues related to either security or performance that could be further improved in Yam's smart contracts, including 17 basic coding bugs, 12 issues found during PeckShield's advanced DeFi scrutiny of business logics and system operations, and six additional recommendations. <clears throat> PeckShield describes four of the issues as informational, while six were considered to be low risk, 
four were medium risk and one was classified as high risk. No issues were found to be of critical severity and all identified issues have since been promptly confirmed and fixed. Peckshield concluded, quote, Yam presents an interesting and novel experiment of on-chain community-based governance in elastic supply cryptocurrency, and we are very impressed by the overall design and implementation. What did you get paid? What did you get paid? However, the firm emphasized that smart contracts as a whole are still in an early but exciting stage of development, echoing the cautionary writings or warnings of Ethereum co-creator Vitalik Buterin regarding smart contract risk. The audit was paid for using funds from the project's Gitcoin grant, with all remaining funds sent to be used to sponsor a bug bounty. Liquidity incentives will go live for the YAM slash YUSD pairing on September the 19th, with the first rebase set to occur two days later. YAM V2 tokens are to be manually migrated to V3 at a one-to-one ratio with 50% immediately redeemable and the remaining half to be continuously vested over 30 days. Jesus Christ. As it, that, we have so much stupid, come and get a second helping. That's all this is saying. You got burned once. You know, maybe you won't get burned again. And if you believe that, I, I don't know what, I just don't know how to help you there, pal. New crypto asset explodes 1,800% after catching the eye of Ethereum creator Vitalik Buterin. Oh, it, it, it goes on. Okay, think Thanksgiving and all this food-related shit from DeFi, okay? Daily Hodel staff writing for Daily Hodel sometime early this morning. A new decentralized finance asset is capturing the attention of crypto traders after exploding more than 1,800% in 48 hours. Here it is, people. Pickle Finance is the latest food-themed token to surge, jumping from a low of $4.41 on September the 12th to a high of $85.25 on September the 14th, according to CoinGecko. The coin is gaining traction due to a unique use case and voting mechanic. Oh, God, it's like a game that earned praise from Ethereum creator Vitalik Buterin. According to its website, Pickle Finance is designed to use farming to help eliminate volatility in the four largest stable coins in the DeFi space. It offers more rewards for stable coin pools, trading below their peg and fewer rewards for pools trading above their peg. The system incentivizes users to sell above peg stable coins and flock into below peg stable coins. Currently, Pickle Finance covers four stable coin pools, DAI slash ETH, USDC slash ETH, USDT slash ETH, and SUSD slash ETH. In addition, Pickle token holders can participate in an unusual governance process. Warning, 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 warning. Quote, we use quadratic voting to prevent whales from having too much influence. Instead of counting votes nominally, we take the square root of it for each account. God. For example, the following two situations have the same amount of voting power. Quote, or sorry, not quote. Number one, a whale casting 100 votes. Two, 10 regular people each casting one vote. This gives more power to ideas that can garner a large number of people's attention. End quote. The price of the DeFi asset began to rise after its original voting system caught the attention of Ethereum founder Vitalik Buterin, and they give his quote, which I will not read. In response, Pickle Finance admits that they are still in the early ages of developing a system. Quote, we can't, at least for now, we don't want to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. This will hopefully slow down the whales who want to game the system. Maybe later on we can devise a system to better identify users, but we are quite stretched for bandwidth right now. 
the project has been live for little more than two days. Let me reread that. Maybe later, warning, warning, we can devise a system, warning, to better identify users, warning, but we are quite stretched, warning, for bandwidth right now. The project has been live for little more than two days. Warning, 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 warning. Get as far away from Pickle as you possibly can. No, this is an investment advice, but it probably should be. Let's run the numbers. The Devil Hour requires that I read futures from CNBC.com. Why? Because I'm up way too early. Hell, even billionaires that trade hedge funds and shit aren't up this freaking early. So index futures, we've got the Dow going to open up. I don't know, a little under half a point. Same thing with the S&P futures. NASDAQ futures relatively flat. It's going to open 0.13% to the upside. S&P mini is going to be open about three quarters of a percent. No, <laughs> two thirds of a percent to the upside. Oil looks like this. <clears throat> Uh, it's got a rally going on 2.19% to the upside. That's going to give a price of $39 and 12 cents for a barrel of West Texas intermediate. Brent North sea is up around the same. It's going to be coming in at $41 and 38 cents. As of right now, we got some gold here. Metal futures. Gold is up 0.31 and it is going to, I don't know. It looks like it's going to open around $1,972. Silver's up, but platinum, copper, and palladium are all to the downside. Let's talk about money. Bitcoin is at $10,882. I got a high at BitAsset at $10,890, and it looks like I'm going to have a low coming in at GDAX, $10,865. So what? That's like a $15 trading, trading gap. Oh, my God. 335,884 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's about 14,000 transactions on average per hour. With 3.26 million BTC being sent in the last 24 hours, that means that about 136,163 BTC have been sent on average per hour. And that is with an average transaction value of about 10 BTC and a median transaction value holding at 0.052 BTC which is about $566.85. Block times are still low, coming in under nine minutes at eight minutes and 53 seconds. We have half a BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 79.18 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Hash rate has dropped a little bit, 5.34% to the down. We are at 135.9 exahashes per second. Ethereum is at 362, Bcash is at 230.5, Litecoin is at 47, almost 48, BSV is at 162 and three quarter, Ethereum Classic is at 5.5, Dogecoin up a little bit, 0.0029, with 42,000 transactions, it finally doesn't beat Litecoin. Oh, that's interesting. So Dogecoin has 42,500 uh, 42, transactions performed in the last 24 hours. It does walk all over Ethereum Classic. It does kick the living snot out of Bcash. But Litecoin, Litecoin is at 47,500 uh, transactions. So that's up by about, oh, they're up 500 transactions or 5,000 transactions more than Dogecoin. I wonder what's going on with Litecoin. Probably some news that, I, well, there, I did see a couple of stories about Litecoin. <clears throat> 
I think there was a, a gaming company that was going to launch on, on Litecoin. That may have something to do with the fact that um, Litecoin is getting more transactions. I don't know. I mean, yes, I hold a bag of Litecoin, but it's only because I'm too freaking lazy to get it over to Kraken and sell it for Bitcoin. And honestly, it, I have so little Litecoin, it probably not even cover the fees. Let's see what Clark Moody has to say this morning. Clark Moody is looking at a price of 10864 Clark Moody ran the numbers and came up with 18,491,000 or sorry, 18,491,002.33 BTC is in the liquidity pool. That's how much money is actually spinning around. We have 3,000. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. It's going to take about five blocks to clear 3,136 transactions. Lightning Network News, we have holding uh, 1,076.1 BTC in the Lightning Network total. That's $11.7 million worth, and that's over 7,483 nodes with 36,936 channels. Yet more torque, yet more torque capacity. We have 50.6% of the entirety of the Lightning Network being run over Tor. Thank God. That means there's about 544.69 BTC in the Tor side of the network, and that's over 2,401 nodes. Everybody run a node today. You, I run one from, oh my, oh my God. See, this is why shit, I shouldn't be talking this early in the damn morning. My node, see, look, look, it's my node. Go, I mean, if you, I, there are several implementations on how to run a node over a Raspberry Pi. Pick one. Buy the Pi, buy a terabyte SSD. It's not terribly expensive. You're going to be able to put all this shit together for under 400, probably. Plus, and that includes the $99 fee for the one button upgrade with my with the MyNode stuff that you can just download and start running. I've been running mine for months. It sits in a corner. It's fine. Its temperature right now is 43 degrees C. It's it's fine. Its disk usage is 50%. I mean, it's. I mean, it's easy to run, and I get I I get all kinds of stuff out of my node. What 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 all what all kinds of stuff does my node run? Let's take a gander. First, you're going to get Bitcoin Core and Lightning. Okay, so those two are coming coming together, which means that you can run Lightning, right? You can be a routing node. You can do all these things. There's Electrum server. There's Tor. There's VPN. There's Ride the Lightning. BTC Pay Server, LND Hub, LND Connect, Bitcoin Explorer, uh, Dojo, Whirlpool, Mempool, Caravan, Spectre, LN Bits, and Thunder Hub Lightning Wallet. Dude, you get it all in a dice tight little package. So run a note today and stop being such a little wussy. That's going to do it for Miles. All right, welcome to round two of the morning roundup. Why Bitcoin? Well, this Czechoslovakian family is being charged for traveling with gold and silver. Yep. Let's find out uh, more about it from Coinfomania. Let's see if they've, uh, let's see who's writing this one. Abigail Michelle is writing this uh, sometime yesterday. Uh, Maybe, well, it says 24 hours ago, so do with that what you will. 
A common argument used by Bitcoin proponents to justify Bitcoin's viability over gold is that the digital asset is easily transportable when compared to precious metals like gold and silver. Bitcoin's superior portability was recently reiterated in the case of a Czech family that was charged for trying to smuggle 665 kilograms of gold and silver through Austria without paying customs fees. The story certainly would have been different had the family used Bitcoin since all activities involving the digital currency are mostly done online, including storing, exchanging, and trading. Meanwhile, gold is tangible and has a conspicuous attribute. It's heavy. Additionally, Bitcoin doesn't require customs duty when traveling with it across borders, making it a seemingly better option than gold. According to the Austra- Austrian daily, Hute, a family from the Czech Republic was traveling through Austria in their car while in possession of the precious metals. When confronted by the customs officers in the west of the Alpine Republic, the family claimed that they had only picked up 4,000 euros in Liechtenstein and were now headed for Zurich, but the customs officials, officials doubted their story and chose to search the family during the search. Customs officers found 707 gold or silver bars weighing 662 kilograms in the trunk of the family's vehicle. The customs officers also found 74 bars of gold weighing a total of 3.25 kilograms while inspecting the daughter's bag. The total weight of both the gold and the silver found with the Czech family amounted to a total of 665 kilograms, doubtlessly making the vehicle a bit overloaded. Yeah, it was riding low, all right? That's, a, that's your clue that anything is holding a, a bunch of dense materials. The customs officers calculated the value of the precious metals to be worth 700,000 euros, or about $832,000 U.S., Such an amount of goods requires an import duty of 96,700 euros or $115,000. God, these people. According to the Czech Republic, which the family was apparently trying to avoid. In Austria, goods worth more than 10,000 euros must be reported to customs. And so with goods worth 700,000 euros, the Czech family had to pay a huge fine. The Austrian Minister of Finance, Gernot Blumel, took pride in the Austrian customer, Customs Administration and commented, Combating illegal money movements is crucial in the fight against money laundering and terrorist financing. Jesus, the narrative is so freaking old, people. For trying to evade paying customs duties, the Austrian authorities detained the family at the Austrian-Swiss border, crossing Friedrich Wolfert. Certainly, though, the most necessary instrument to move, $831,000, the total worth of the gold of the seized gold and silver with Bitcoin, could be just a paper wallet, hardware wallet, or a mobile phone. This is why I Bitcoin. Just saying. Leaked EU draft proposes all-encompassing laws for crypto assets September the 16th. Ian Allison is writing, or probably Ian Allison is writing for Coindesk.com, a leaked version of rules to be issued later this month by the European Commission uh, proposes an all-encompassing set of regulations covering the trading or issuance of digital assets across the 27-nation bloc. Europe's markets in crypto assets, or the MICA draft legislation, provides legal certainty around crypto assets, cryptocurrencies, security tokens, and stable coins along the same lines as Europe's markets in financial instruments derivatives, or I'm sorry, financial instruments directive, or the MIFID, a legal framework for securities markets, investment intermediaries, and trading venues. The takeaway is that Europe intends to treat crypto 
the same as any other regulated financial instrument, which will doubtless provide legal clarity. The unknown is whether that may stifle the nascent and fast-moving space. The MICA proposals began with a broad definition of crypto assets and a base set of rules that apply to the issuers of those assets and service providers. The latter is more or less in line with the Financial Action Task Force definition of a virtual asset service provider or VASP. There is a particular focus on stablecoins in Europe, which are defined as either asset reference tokens or e-money tokens. To illustrate the difference, Sign Jones, a senior partner at X-Reg Consulting, <clears throat> referred to the revised second version of Libra's white paper that redefined the token as being denominated in individual currencies. This would likely bring it within the MICA regulations definition of e-money, said Jones. Quote, those stable coins that rely on a basket of currencies or are based by reference to other assets, whether that's another crypto or other kinds of assets, they will be classed as asset reference tokens, Jones said in an interview. Quote, essentially the subgroup that behaves like e-money will be sucked into the existing e-money framework, while those that are asset referenced have a load of extra rules on top of the base rules. So clearly... This is targeting stablecoins and particularly global stablecoins. <clears throat> the attention to stablecoins chimes with comments made last Friday at an informal meeting of live European, oh, sorry, five European finance ministers in Berlin, which featured calls for clear regulatory oversight of asset-backed coins like Libra. In addition to providing legal certainty around all crypto assets, another core tenet of the proposed regulation is apparently to support innovation. Quote, there will be many who will question that, said Jones, citing the recent explosion in decentralized finance as an example of innovation involving the issuance of blockchain tokens that could be curtailed in Europe. Among many regulatory obligations that will be imposed on crypto asset issuers and service providers in the European Union is the need to be incorporated as a legal entity. They're going to centralize your ass with an address that they can come knock on the door and take all your shit. That's what that is and for service providers to have their registered office in a member state. Well, they need to be able to find you, and that's exactly what's going to happen. This is why Bitcoin. And, you know, that's all you really need to know. Honestly, it's just... It, regulators are going to regulate what they can regulate. This is why I Bitcoin. Backed breaks own record for Bitcoin futures trading. This is Jeff Benson. And he's writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime today. Okay, let's find out what BACT did today. It's a crypto derivatives company run by the Intercontinental Exchange announced that a high a record high volume of BACT Bitcoin futures were traded on Tuesday, September the 15th. The 15,955 futures traded accounted for about $172 million in volume. Previous record was 11,706 Bitcoin, which was roughly $125 million on July the 28th. Today's high is a 36% improvement. Bitcoin futures are agreements to sell or to buy BTC at a point in the future for a specific price. Given Bitcoin's recent, some might say constant, price fluctuations, putting money in futures contracts is a bit of a gamble. That's a bit of an understatement. Holy shit. But it's one that BACT will be happy people are taking. In January, BACT went days at a time without seeing any Bitcoin options trading. <laughs> Despite the good news, BACT still comes in behind its main competitor, CME, which regularly does volume above BACT's record level. 
Today, it did $262 million in volume, a relatively small haul compared to the $1.1 billion it did on September the 2nd. Wow, that's actually relatively amazing. Uh, COVID-19 vaccine will spark Bitcoin crash, says Rich Dad, Poor Dad author Robert Kiyosaki calls the United States bankrupt as national debt bears $27 trillion, listing Bitcoin among the three best long-term investments. William Suberg is bringing this to us out of Cointelegraph sometime very early this morning. Bitcoin will crash when the world finds a coronavirus vaccine that works, popular author Robert Kiyosaki claims. In a tweet on the 15th of September, Kiyosaki, famous for his book, Poor Dad, Rich Dad, or Rich Dad, Poor Dad, warned that a functional solution to COVID would send safe haven assets plummeting. Quote, what happens when a vaccine is proven? Gold, silver, Bitcoin will crash. Buying opportunity, he wrote. He's not very, I don't know, man. I I have a tendency to use more verbs and, you know, punctuation and shit, but whatever. Continuing, Kiyosaki argued that the virus was making real issues at stake for the United States economy in particular, with $26.7 trillion in debt, According to monitoring resource U.S. national debt clock, much of which appeared via stimulus measures since COVID-19 hit, the country is now, quote, bankrupt. Quote, again, real problem, not pandemic, real problem, massive U.S. debt. U.S. bankrupt, 28 trillion balance sheet debt, 120 trillion off balance sheet social obligations, the tweet reads. The argument in favor of long-term investment in Bitcoin has become more and more public since March's cross-asset market crash. Despite current strength, the United States dollar is broadly seen as being in a downward spiral, which will only worsen thanks to Federal Reserve policies also ostensibly, or sorry, ostensibly intended to counter coronavirus fallout. As Cointelegraph reported, weakness in the United States dollar currency index has buoyed Bitcoin and gold in recent months, underscoring inverse correlation which remains a major consideration for traders on Wednesday. The Fed is set to deliver fresh comments on the future of its market participation, further raising the prospect of dollar volatility. Another trend highlights increases in BTC USD as the debt amassed by central banks worldwide balloon this year. Kiyosaki, meanwhile, remains an outspoken supporter of Bitcoin, Whatever the weather. In August, he urged Twitter followers to buy the cryptocurrency before a major banking crisis appeared. Dollar weakness and Fed meddling in the economy likewise formed the impetus behind his advice. Warren Buffett exiting U.S. banking investments and buying gold was another alarm bell for the author. Hey, he didn't buy gold. He bought gold mining stocks. There's a difference, and it's fairly large. Please keep that shit in mind. Quote, What's Warren Buffett doing? Warren Buffett has a huge cash position. He's recently moved into gold stocks, which is a very different kind of investment than he's used to making over the past decades. And as of this week, he's now got a big position in Japanese stocks. Uh, RT host Max Kaiser, who often presents similar conclusions about the economy, continued in an interview this weekend. Quote, he's getting out of the dollar. I think that's pretty clear. That should be a red flag to folks out there that one of the world's most successful investors is getting out of the dollar. Also in August, Kaiser forecast that Bitcoin would hit a new all-time high in the near future as the current economic situation plays out. So all that this was really saying is that he just that Kiyosaki just suspects that this crash of Bitcoin that he's talking about is going to come when people feel safer. 
and people are going to feel safer in mass the minute somebody says, we've got it licked, bro, and they won't have it licked, and the, the vaccine probably will be completely ineffective, but it will be riding on top of herd immunity, which we're already seeing happen in places like Sweden, so people will think that the vaccine saved us all when, in fact, it didn't do shit, but it will still have the same effect. It will make people feel safe, and masses of people will move back into their fiat currencies. I don't think he's wrong. I just think he's wrong about the severity of using the term crash. I think there will be a dip. That will be a buying opportunity, which he so noted in his tweets. But crash is probably not the word that I would use. Honestly, that's only because I've been around the space for long enough that I've seen crashes. So there you go. Gene Simmons likes Bitcoin, apparently. He gives Bitcoin a kiss. If you know what the reference is, then you are probably alive either during the 80s or you have an open mind to music from the past. Bitcoin has given Kiss bassist Gene Simmons a reason to live. (laughs) At least that's one way to read his Twitter response today to Cameron Winklevoss. This is Jeff Benson writing sometime yesterday for Decrypt.co. He says, Kiss rocker Gene Simmons has seemingly endorsed Bitcoin via Twitter. The oft-costumed bassist responded to a tweet by Cameron Winklevoss encouraging people to use bank accounts to buy Bitcoin and Ether. I really wish they'd stop doing that. Simmons, presumably in a voice like the God of Thunder, declared, I will, I am. (laughs) Simmons didn't flex his nimble fingers to elaborate, but the man with the famous tongue has set tongues on Twitter wagging. The social network is awash in speculation about what Simmons tweets mean for, sorry, what Simmons tweet means for Bitcoin, or rather just what it means. Um, Let's see, is is Simmons saying that he will get a bank account? Perhaps he means to say, I am a bank account. Or like Gandhi, is the demon saying he will be the change he wishes to see in the world? The most common reading from the Twitterverse so far is that Simmons is already buying cryptocurrency and will continue to do so. Cameron Winklevoss's Tweet thread is less difficult to parse. The co-founder of Gemini, a cryptocurrency exchange that has historically played nice with regulators, stands to gain from more people adopting cryptocurrency. It's tough to say how much the man behind such hits as Psycho Circus and Rock and Roll All Night has in common with the guy who kind of invented Facebook. But if his lyrics are any indication, he should fit right in with the Bitcoin crowd. No word yet on Ace Fraley's stance on Bitcoin or Paul Stanley's. Or Peter Chris, although I'm, I think Peter Chris, the old drummer from Kiss, died. I'm not sure. These, those rumors are always awash, especially in 1980s rock and roll glam slash hair bands. Unicorn, brother, unicorn. Now, <clears throat> before I read this, I want to look at this chart uh, from uh, Coin Market Cap. Unicorn. We're going to be talking about unicorn gold, okay? Or I not unicorn, unicoin. U-N-I-K-O-I-N. Now, so way back in January, before January of 18, okay, uh, probably about a month before, uh, Unicoin launched, and it launched with a price of about, I don't know, 60 cents, you know, 60 United States cents. It then dipped and then went up precipitously in January of 18, all the way up to like, it looks like about $2.60. It has since flatlined 
to something like, I don't know, we'll probably find out in, in the story. So let's go ahead with Unicorn ICO faces further SEC action. Benjamin Pyrrhus writing for Cointelegraph.com sometime yesterday. And Unicorn here is spelled U-N-I-K-R-N and it's for Unicorn. Okay, so just be be aware. Another remnant of 2017 gets hit by regulation. Unicorn, an initial coin offering from 2017, faces faces action from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, SEC has accused the startup of running an ICO without going through the proper legal channels. Based on a statement uh, Tuesday from the regulating body, the commission claims Unicorn offered an unregistered investment opportunity. The Unicorn project with its Unicoin Gold or UKG token jumped on the ICO bandwagon September of 2017 tallying about $28.6 million in invested capital based on the data from ICO Bench. The SEC statement, however, alleges the project raised a slightly higher amount, $31 million, running from June to October. The project positioned itself as a betting venue for the esports world, especially the SEC has alleged the project framed its sale in a way that made it appear as a profit opportunity for investors, thus putting it in the financial category that required licensing, which it did not have. The SEC's order finds that Unicorn violated the registration provisions of the federal securities law. UKG sits at press time at one penny, down from its high near $1.82 at the peak of the last crypto bubble in January of 2018. According to CoinMarketCap data price, Unicorn made headlines back in 2017 when Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban invested in the project. And you lost it because, Mark, you're an idiot. He doesn't like Bitcoin, but he does like Unicorn. So good, good, good job at losing all your money there, Mark. Well, he didn't lose all his money, but he lost whatever money he put into this shit. And somebody else of note that was touting this project way back in 2017, Meltem Demirs, saw a tweet about that yesterday. Somebody dug that shit out of the hole, and she said that it was going to be a game-changing betting platform and gaming and stuff like that. I don't have as many problems with Meltem Demirs as a lot of other people do, but I just warn people from saying shit like that. Again, this is why I Bitcoin, because if I say something good about any other project, the chances of that project bringing my or lighting my reputation on fire for, for, for whatever reason is extraordinarily high. Why? Because if it's not Bitcoin, it's shitcoin. And I was going to read you a story about Bahamas rolling out their sand dollar, but all you really need to know about this digital currency is that you can't build anything on sand. Ask Stony Bitson about that. That's it for the morning roundup. Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by Wealth Theory. That's at wealth underscore theory. Maybe I don't understand it, but I believe it will v eventually be flipped to another cryptocurrency that will destroy all Bitcoin value. That's how I understand it now. Yeah. Yeah. He's talking about, clearly he's talking about Bitcoin. This is the fallacy that I come up against all the time. The, the, the theory goes something like this. If Bitcoin is so great, yet it's open source, then what's stopping somebody from forking Bitcoin and making a better Bitcoin? 
okay, let's say somebody did do that. And by the way, somebody has done that, or at least they say it's better than Bitcoin. But when it all washes out in the end, we're left with Bitcoin. I'm just saying, okay? So it works like this. Somebody says they build a better Bitcoin and they fork the Bitcoin code and then they do something like increase the block amount to eight or the block size to eight gigabytes like uh, Roger did. Clearly a better Bitcoin, except that it has almost no usage. Why? It just doesn't work that way. Now, here's the other thing about it. Let's say that it had worked that way. Let's say that all of a sudden, everybody in Bitcoin said, you know what? Roger's right. Let's let's put all let's 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 sell all of our Bitcoin for this Bcash bullshit and we'll store our wealth there. Okay. Well, in one fifth, it was probably one sixth or one seventh of the amount of time of the lifespan of Bitcoin, here comes the BSV fork. Then what happens? Let's I mean they were gonna increase it to the, the block size and all kind they changed tweaked all kinds of Bitcoin parameters to come up with that flaming pile of garbage. And now here's here's what happens. Everybody says, Oh my God, we've got to jump on this new thing. You see where this ends? You know what what nobody is is really talking about is that yes, people will put up with bullshit to the ends of the earth. We see it with governments, we see it with taxation, we see it with authoritarianism, we see it with all kinds of shit. We will just put up with anything. Well, we also, you know, that same type of level of patience is what exactly is one of the things that works exactly against finding a new place to store your wealth and then having to find a new place to store your wealth one seventh of the time later and then one seventh of the time of that and then one seventh of the time of that and then one seventh. Do you see where this goes? This type of theory makes it impossible to store any value at all except the legacy system. And if you want to run back to the legacy system, you're going to get more of the same of the sh- uh, more of the same shit that brought us here. If you don't want the legacy system, then pick one and stick with it. My bet is on Bitcoin. So there's your smoldering pile. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. Who says? A sketchy looking guy rented six smoke machines from my shop, so I called the cops. He must have been part of some extremist group. Yep. Extremist group. I'm just going to end it right there. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.